was, that was fantastic. We also want to remind you that uh, this morning is communion. So hopefully you got one of these on the way in. There was a tray of them. If not, you can go help yourself. They're a little bit tricky. So what I do is I, I take that plastic thing and pull it off halfway. And that enables me to get to the bread part. And then later on, you just pull off the other one. And that gets you to the cup. So uh, just take a few moments and help yourself there. And one of these days we'll get back to the uh, communion trays and we'll make life a bit easier for you. This series is about the kingdom of God. And uh, this is really, really important for us because so often the focus is on the church and denominations and Christians and what they're doing and what they're not doing. But in the kingdom, we truly see how we are to live as God's people. So we want to conclude by focusing on a message I've called I Exam. And it's the letter I. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just a wonderful time of worship. And uh, thank you for your word that every time we open your word, you speak to us. And we see things about life and about ourselves. You encourage us. You also uh, challenge us. And there may be things we need to confess as well. It's always a very dynamic experience whenever your word is presented in a way that uh, we respond to it personally and that we can uh, live the kind of lives that are truly worthy of you. And that's what we want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years ago, when the Son of God came to earth, he was on a mission. It was uh, search and rescue. He came to seek and save the lost. It was also seek and destroy. He came to destroy the works of the devil. It was uh, his purpose to make disciples. That's why he came. He also came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He also came to give us an abundant life. But there was one objective that tied all of that together. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God in enemy territory here on planet Earth. And in this series, we've been reminded that as followers of Jesus, we also have that as our highest priority. That is our purpose. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you as well. And we've also said that unlike religion and unlike the Republican Party, God's kingdom is manifest only where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Only in Washington and in Ottawa where his will is done there as it is in heaven. Only in Tokyo or in Calgary or anywhere on earth 
as it is done in heaven. That's the only place God's kingdom is truly manifest because Jesus prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where you find the kingdom. And while not everything that goes on in church is kingdom business, this is kind of a beta version. You know, we have worship, we have fellowship, we have announcements, we have potluck suppers, just like they do in heaven. Right? I hope so. So what we do here is intentional. Our church is the place where the purposes of God can rise to visibility. We can make God's kingdom visible, and especially in two ways. By demonstrating his love, particularly to the people we don't like, the people who disagree with us, the people who don't deserve it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. People will see a different kind of love among the people who have God in them. So we can make God visible by demonstrating his love and also by declaring his truth. And we do that with boldness because we're not ashamed. As Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him. So the kingdom only exists where his will is done exactly on earth as it is in heaven. And 2,000 years ago, that criteria was visibly demonstrated by Jesus of Nazareth. In Luke 11:20, Jesus said, If I drive out demons with the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus was the king of kings, so this was his kingdom. Of course, there were many who doubted him and who disbelieved, especially in the religious establishment. And in our day, there's a lot of disbelief in especially the academic community. They don't acknowledge the sovereignty of the creator for the most part. In fact, many intellectuals claim God does not exist and Jesus was a myth, which is exactly what Jesus predicted. In Matthew chapter 11, it says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the learned and wise and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Matthew 11, 25 and 26. You've hidden these things from the learned and wise. So it, it is harder for a cynical intellectual to enter the kingdom of God than for the faculty of Harvard to fit into a Sunday school room. There's just too much pride. But some at least are curious. Like Nicodemus, who was one of the wise and learned. B.A., M.A., Ph.D., D.D., D.D.D., D.D.D.D. I don't know how many he had there, but he had a lot of them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a major theologian, and he could have easily conformed to the collective hive of the religious establishment and denounced the heretic from Nazareth. But when he saw the evidence... When he heard the testimonies, Nicodemus simply could not dismiss Jesus as a fraud. He had to investigate and find out for himself. And so this religious aristocrat, 
went to meet with that Galilean hillbilly. John chapter 3, verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I suspect that God is up to something, but I'm having trouble focusing on it. There's too many blurred lines. And so this turned out to be like Nicodemus's spiritual eye exam. Because Jesus said in reply, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, vision is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Because it's so selective. When Edie and I walk through uh, our neighborhood, I just see a bunch of houses that look pretty much the same, but she'll say, oh, they bought a new car, and look at that, they changed their drapes, and they used to grow peonies, but this year they've got poppies. What? How do you know that? She has her whole district memorized, but I don't see it. But when she comes home from shopping, I'll ask, what are the gas prices today? I, I didn't notice. What? That's the first thing I look for. Vision is very selective, and our priorities determine our perception. You know, at the zoo, I've learned to notice animals even when they're camouflaged or partially hidden. And often people will just walk by an enclosure and say, well, I guess the lions are not out today. Actually, one of the males is over there by the log. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wow. Or the red panda sleeping up in the tree. Hey, look at that. There's a peacock resting under those bushes. Yeah, thanks, man. I would have missed that. We all notice things that are important or interesting to us. Our priorities determine our perception. But the kingdom of God is not visible to sightseers. It's not something you can discover by reconnaissance or research. The Holy Spirit, the heavenly dove, will not be detected by bird watchers. Seeing the kingdom is not an acquired skill. You have to be born with it. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, we come to church and we can just see the reality of Jesus and that he should be glorified and, and praised above all. But if you don't have that kind of relationship, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. When you're saved, when you repent of your sin, when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's a whole new world. You get a whole new outlook. Anyone who's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When you're born again, you see people differently. That happened to me. I used to despise Christians. I saw them as self-righteous hypocrites who were not allowed to have any fun. And they were kind of like stalkers. They were watching me. They were praying for me. They were always trying to convert me. And if I saw a Christian coming toward me, I would cross the street in heavy traffic to escape.
But when my life came under new management, my attitude changed and I saw them differently. To my surprise, they were actually nice, humble people who were not allowed to have any fun. Of course not. I've had more joy as a believer than I ever did as a repeat offender. But I used to hate being with Christians, and now I love it. And that's one of the consequences of being born again. You see people differently. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. One of the, the compelling evidences of salvation is our love for each other. We just can't get enough of each other. We have to get together. We long to be in fellowship. If we don't, then are we actually born again? Salvation changes our sight. We see people differently. And now we have the ability to detect the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus had come looking for something, but not as a sightseer, more like a prospector. He had lost interest in the fool's gold of religion, and now he was looking for the pearl of great price. But this made no sense. This absolutely made no sense. Nicodemus says, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus was in the obstetrics ward contemplating his navel, trying to understand a spiritual truth from a materialistic perspective. I, I don't get it. I don't see it. In verse 7, Jesus said, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is not defined by geography or by topographical features or by physical landmarks. And it's not even like a river whose course you can predict, whose force you can measure and whose power you can harness. The kingdom is not like water, it's more like the wind. And you can't build a dam or even erect turbines to convert the power of the Holy Ghost into spiritual energy. The wind can't be controlled, you can't even see it, you can only experience it effect, its effects. That's like the kingdom of God. In verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And that's our challenge. You see, we live in a world where everything is so visible and audible, and it's all in your face. It's 5G and 4K and 120 decibels, and it's so distracting. Meanwhile, it's hard to even detect those invisible glimpses of glory or to listen to the sounds of silence. Every week, I hear a lot of ideas. Everybody's talking at me. 
telling me how I'm supposed to think, how to be progressive or politically correct, how to be on the right side of history. Well, this really is propaganda, which is actually part of the pattern of the world. The world is very, very concerned about getting you to think a certain way. And the world wants you to conform to that way of thinking. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, in the world, no one's concerned about God's will. They don't care about that. They just care about what is fashionable, what is acceptable right now. But in the kingdom, we're only concerned with the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are in a world system that has a pattern. And we're, we feel pressure to conform to that pattern. And there's a decisive difference between the pattern of the world and the will of God. The pattern of the world is all about the pursuit of happiness. And for many people, that means financial success. Because whatever the question is, the answer is money. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is all about promiscuity. If you can't be with the one you love, then you love the one you're with. Because boys will be boys and girls just want to have fun. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. And so if you're not married, your motto is Jesus reigns and virginity rocks. Because your goal is to enter marriage in mint condition. The pattern of the world is intellectual pride. Along with mammon and Aphrodite, science has become one of the idolatrous trinity of our age. Following the scriptures is considered something for the simple-minded or those with neurological damage. Of course, if we follow science, we'll probably all end up on Mars, because that's where, where the attention is these days. So there's a big difference between the pattern of the world and the will of God. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, it says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. That's the most important fact in all of life. To understand and know God. And hopefully that is our highest aspiration. And who are we? Well, we're really nobody special. As Paul says, not many of, of us are wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things and the despised things. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. So there's a decisive difference between conforming to the pattern of the world and boasting about our riches, boasting about our, our intelligence, our wisdom, boasting about our power. 
There's a decisive difference between that and being committed to the will of God here on earth as it is in heaven. That's why the Bible issues a warning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not, do not love the world or anything in the world. That's pretty extreme. We passed over dozens of them on our way to church this morning. They're everywhere warning us, stop, yield, one way, do not enter, maximum speed. It can be so frustrating sometimes. How dare they tell me what to do? Don't they know who I am? Well, I'm nobody, but that's beside the point. It's frustrating. Now, of course, we realize that Without those signs, our streets would become a demolition derby. And personally, I appreciate warning signs. And my favorite is, beware of dog. I love that sign because I was going to take a shortcut through your yard and just grab a few tomatoes on my way. But when I saw that sign, I changed my mind. What was I thinking? I don't even like tomatoes. Warning signs are very important, like labels on cleaning supplies, danger, poison, flammable. Bleach is corrosive not to be used to com combat coronavirus. It is wise to heed warning signs. And here's one of the most important of all. Do not love the world. Another way of saying that is don't be so impressed by the world. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, the world takes over. It takes up all the available office space in our lives so that there's very little left for God. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. All the way down Country Hills Boulevard, I did not see any signs that warned me, do not love the world. Not one. Do you love the world? Are you impressed by what the world is offering you? I am. It's amazing what, what they can offer us. All of the sights and sounds and the flavors and the technology. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Dress in sackcloth and live in catacombs, eating locusts and honey garlic, chanting kumbaya? Is that the kingdom? Probably not. You look at Jesus. He wasn't a dropout. He waded through the busy marketplaces and the maddening crowds of Israel all the time. They even criticized him for his friends. He's, he's a friend of sinners. Legalists complained, he can't be spiritual, he's having too much fun. He was the life of the party, and yet he never conformed to the pattern of the world because he had other priorities. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The 
world just overwhelms you emotionally. It dominates the time of possession. So there's no room left for God. That's why there's this warning sign. Do not love the world. Because whatever the world offers you may look really, really good at the beginning, but it's only seasonal. If it's sinful, it's seasonal. Verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away. Sin has a relatively short shelf life. It's, it's best before you get bored. And when you get bored with sin, you usually double the dosage and you keep doing that until you finally despair. Some time ago, I quoted the lyrics of uh, Paul Simon's song, Richard Corey, which was based on a poem written by A.E. Robinson, which is based on a true story. They say that Richard Corey owns one half of this whole town with political connections to spread his wealth around. Born into society, a banker's only child, he had everything a man could want, power, grace, and style. The papers print his picture almost everywhere he goes. Richard Corey at the opera. Richard Corey at a show. But I work in his factory, and I curse the life I'm living, and I curse my poverty, and I wish that I could be, oh, I wish that I could be Richard Corey. So my mind was filled with wonder when the evening headlines read, Richard Corey went home last night and he put a bullet through his head. He had reached the point of despair. It just uh, confirms what Jim Carrey, the movie star, said when he said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything that they ever dreamed of so that they would know that's not the answer. That's a very good insight. He's not far from the kingdom of God. I've kind of been interested in watching these, the billionaire space race lately. All these billionaires trying to get to the edge of space. And recently, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, paid a fortune to take a rocket to the edge of outer space. He's worth over $200 billion. And in the interview before the flight, Bezos said this. He said, people who've been in space say the experience changes you. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how this will change me. But, but Jeff, come on, you don't need to change. You're rich and famous. You have everything the world can possibly give. Everybody wants to be like you. Why would you want to change? Because the world and its desires pass away. And when they do, you're going to want something more, but you may not know what it is. You may not even know if it's available. Following the desires of the world moves you in the direction of despair. The world and its desires pass away. This was vividly illustrated for us when we lived in St. Albert. Because our church was in Edmonton, so we would drive St. Albert Trail many times a week. And on one side of the road, we saw the gleaming chariots of General Motors, turbocharged, 
you injected cruise control, mink-covered mud flaps, steam-heated doorknobs, rich Corinthian leather. I mean, everything you could possibly want. And directly across the highway was something called Jasper Auto Parts, which was the sacred burial grounds of their automotive ancestors. Acres and acres cluttered with the corroding carcasses of last year's turbo-seized, fuel-rejected rust buckets. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the world and its desires pass away. In fact, there are some people that say it's time for me to euthanize my caravan. Well, some people could be wrong, because that's how I roll. I mean, just be patient. Yes, outwardly it's wasting away, but inwardly, I just got an oil change this week. It's got a heart of gold. Of course, I know the end is near, because the world and its desires pass away. I should, I should write that on my van as an advertisement. The world is a very bad investment. It's, it's bad, especially in the long term. So if you have any stock in Hindenburg Airlines or Titanic cruise ships, sell as quickly as you can. And someday, even Amazon will run dry. And Apple stock will be worth about 99 cents a pound. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God, lives forever. As long as you keep doing God's will, you will find meaning and purpose in life. You'll never end up empty like these rich and famous people. Missionary Jim Elliott was a man who uh, renounced the world to establish the kingdom of God in the jungles of South America. And before he was murdered by the native tribe he was trying to reach, Elliot wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can never lose. That's a decision Jim Elliot made, and his life was well, well invested and also led him right into the glory of eternity. The man who does the will of God lives forever. You know, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Most people would sell their souls for much less. But Jesus turned down that offer. He wasn't interested in the world because he was building the kingdom of God. And that's what our life needs to be all about. Seek first his kingdom. And that kingdom only exists where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom is all about love and truth. It's love for people that you may not like. It's love for people that are not like you at all, that disagree with you. Because in the kingdom, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, or male or female, vaccinated or unvaccinated, flames or Oilers fans, because they're all one in Christ. It's the most amazing group of people. The kingdom is all about love, especially for people who we may not like and who may not deserve it, but it's love that is balanced by truth, inconvenient truth, uncomfortable truth, the truth that many people can't handle, the truth that is a stumbling block, but it's the only truth that sets people free. 
And it's the truth that we are not ashamed of. And it's the truth about the only way to heaven through Jesus Christ, made possible by what happened on the cross, where he paid the eternal death penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and become part of thy kingdom.